This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hi, I'm Ethan Nadelman, and this is Psychoactive, a production of iHeartRadio and Protozoa Pictures. Psychoactive is the show where we talk about all things drugs. But any views expressed here do not represent those of iHeartMedia, Protozoa Pictures, or their executives and employees. Indeed, as an inveterate contrarian, I can tell you they may not even represent my own. And nothing contained in this show should be used as medical advice or encouragement to use any type of drugs. Hello, Psychoactive listeners. So today we're bringing you a bonus episode. A few weeks ago, I was on somebody else's podcast. It was the actress and comedian Chelsea Handler. Her podcast is called Dear Chelsea. And she asked me all sorts of questions about drugs. And then we took turns answering questions from her audience. I'm sure you're really going to enjoy this. Hi, everybody. While I'm taking the month of September off of doing stand-up, I return on October 1st to complete my vaccinated and horny tour. October, November, and December. I have new dates up. I kick it off in Saratoga, California, and I'm coming to all parts of California, Long Beach, Bakersfield. I'm coming to Niagara Falls, Tucson, Arizona, Colorado, Minneapolis, San Diego, Reading, Pennsylvania, and Baltimore, Maryland, just to name a few. There's also some Floridian dates in there since this will be my last year that I'm able to go inside the state of Florida. So check out ChelseaHandler.com for more stand-up dates for my vaccinated and horny tour. These are my last dates. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm so good. I'm here in L.A., and it's going to be 104 this weekend. Uh, I left L.A. because I don't like that kind of temperature. and <laughs> But I'm going to see you in Mallorca soon. Catherine and I are going on vacation together with Brad. We're going to become a thruple. I'm so thrilled. We're going to open up their relationship. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be weird. You're welcome in. We're really good at snuggling and aftercare. I was just at a lunch. I'm in New York City this week because I'm here to watch the U.S. Open because I want to watch Serena play for the last time. So I went to the first night where she fucking won, and it was so (laughs) special. I just love that energy. I love watching people win. Yes, she came out in like a glittery like cape, like a queen. Yeah, she had six layers to signify all of the, I guess, six U.S. Opens she had won. And she played this girl whose name, oh God, that's terrible. I can't remember, but 
The girl was so good. It's so funny to watch Serena play because, like, her opponents are always just running back and forth with such athleticism. <laughs> and Serena just stands there. She's just yeah. like, here, I'll return the ball from over here. Like, I'm not running okay. anywhere. It's pretty amazing to watch her play. She's such a—she's a beast. It's always amazing to see somebody who's just at the top of their game, whether it's sports, whether it's comedy, whether it's whatever it is. It's so fascinating yeah. to watch somebody who's at the top of their yeah. game. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I love the whole vibe of like tennis grand slams. Like I've been to Wimbledon. I think I've been, I think that's probably it. Wimbledon and the US Open I've been to, but it's just such a vibe. Yeah. You know, like you can drink, you watch sports, like it's up close. You can see everything. And no matter where you're sitting in the stadium, you're just watching yeah. the court. You know, it's not like a concert where you have to watch on one of these big screens. And totally. the U.S. Open is the biggest one out of the Grand Slams. It's It holds the most seats. And so it's massive. And it's just, it? it's, yeah, my best friend, Bitchy, <laughs> she's my sports friend. She, she's always got inroads to any sporting event. So we always get hooked up. So, yeah, I'm having a great time. And I'm, That's yeah, fantastic. and then I'm going to see you in Mallorca. Yeah. And you've been seeing all kinds of friends this week, I know, because you were making plans last week. <laughs> We oh, my God. I know. I'm looking at my calendar. I'm like, fuck. I fuck, what the, the fuck is this? We have a podcast recording at two. This interrupts my lunch and mushroom day. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Last night, though, I had the most romantic night by myself. I went to. Aww. First, I got up and I worked out for two hours because mm-hmm. I shot this campaign and I had to really get it together for, well, one week. <laughs> That's how I get it together. <laughs> And then I just went off since then. I've gained six pounds, and I am just cruising through Manhattan, and I'm walking everywhere. Yesterday, I met my sister. I walked 45 minutes. I met her for lunch. Then my friend Bitchy came. Then I walked all the way back, and then I walked back downtown. I got in 27,000 steps yesterday, and my goal is just to—I love New York City for that reason. There's nowhere—I mean, I just wish I lived in a city that was walkable, not in Mm -hmm. Los Angeles. Los Angeles definitely is not. It's barely drivable. Yeah. But where else have you been? You've been all over the place. Oh, my gosh. I just got back from Greece and Vancouver Island. I went from Greece to Vancouver Island. Warm to very cold, it sounds like. Yeah, well, it wasn't very cold on Vancouver Island. Greece was beautiful. I went to an island called Lefkada, which I've never been to, with a bunch of friends. We just got on a boat every day and went to a different beautiful restaurant and drank white wine and ate Greek salads and fish. And I could not have been happier. I actually was able to protect my face from the sun with this new hat I got. So yes. I looked like a dick, but I like, at least my skin <laughs> is not burned. And yeah, I was on vacation with lots of different new people and um, some children. So you oh, know nice. how that goes. Yes, I saw your Insta stories with one in particular who I think was your favorite. Oh, yeah, she's my favorite. <laughs> the ones who can't really form sentences are my favorites. You know, yeah. like I like when they're beginning to talk, but they haven't really gotten the handle Mastered of it. it. <laughs> yeah. That's when they get a full personality is when I start to lose interest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the like jibber jabber stage where they'll just like tell you all about their day in total like jabbery English is my favorite. It's adorable. Yeah, I had this four-year-old girl, Mia, who was just she was so, she was like a seven-year-old. So it was so mm-hmm. funny. I'd be like, okay, let's play a game where we count all the boats that are moving in the ocean. She's like, that sounds silly. I've got another game. I'm like, oh my God. She's like, I don't think so. She was just so funny. Just like, and this old British, like she sounded like an old British man. She sounded like Mrs. Doubtfire. I love that. Traveling with children is another thing. You got to sort of have your own like timeline there's just naps can't involved people sometimes. People do it. I just don't yeah. understand how people do it, how they have so many children, and then they have to pack up their car, and they have mm-hmm. to put in the baby Bjorn and their cookies and their whatever bottle, all of it. And at every yep. airport, all you ever see is parents taking their sippy cups and downing the liquid in the sippy cups because the kids haven't <laughs> finished it. And like I was at Heathrow yeah. on a layover. Oh, I was in London too. I was at Heathrow. And he throws like the strictest airport in terms of like liquids and fluids. Uh-huh. So basically everyone who came through just had to sit there in front of the TSA agent drinking their thermos because no one had, you know, <laughs> emptied out their thermos. And I'm like, how do people not fucking know about emptying out their thermos at this point? <laughs> how do they not know? We've been doing this for a minute now. It's been since <laughs> 9-11. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just don't think I could have a kid and be the sort of mom who like licks their kid's pacifier to clean it before giving it to them or like, like parents, man, I have a lot of respect, but I can't do a lot of that gross stuff. 
No, no, it's all yeah, it's too it. much. It's just never ending. And some yeah. people make it look easy, and I respect that yeah. because it's not yeah. easy. Some people with many nannies. We have a very special guest today. His name is Ethan Neidelman, and he is the former Princeton professor who built a political movement to legalize marijuana, roll back the drug war, and treat drugs as a health issue, not a criminal one. He is now the host of the podcast Psychoactive about all things drugs, now in its second season. And obviously, I would like to announce to all my customers this disclaimer that I am not a doctor. I play one on a podcast that I would never, ever encourage anybody to do drugs. This isn't medical advice. This is my own personal therapy. Ethan, hi. It's so nice to have you. Well, it's a pleasure to be on your show, Chelsea. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for being here. And you know, you've spoken to Catherine before. Yeah. Hi. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know you are a huge proponent of the legalization of marijuana and basically, I mean, all drug use, right? Or do you want to get specific about what drugs you are for and what drugs you're against? Well, I mean, let me be very specific. I mean, most of my life was about working to legalize marijuana and to end the war on drugs. So that's where, and I was never called myself pro-marijuana, although my personal life, I'd say marijuana and I have had a great relationship for a very long time. Amen to that. But when it comes to the other drugs, you know, I'm sort of a marijuana and psychedelic exceptionalist and that those are the drugs that have been good in my life and the other ones I'm not so crazy about. But the principle that nobody should be punished for whatever drug they put in their body if they don't hurt anybody else, I think that's the core principle we have to remember. So that even if you love weed, you love psychology, you don't like all the other sorts of things, it doesn't mean that other people should get punished simply for using those things. Right. Absolutely. And so what are your feeling about other sort of narcotics? I mean, you're into psychedelics. And so I assume that encompasses all of, all psychedelics, psilocybin. Well, you know, I haven't tried all of them yet. Right. I mean, you know, mushrooms have been my kind of go to one for a very long time. Ayahuasca has been good. I've done mescaline once or twice. I've tried a few others. I did 2CB. MDMA, not really a psychedelic, but that one was very nice in my life, although it doesn't really work for me anymore. But when it comes to the opioids, Hmm. I mean, no, I just think they're useful for pain and that one needs to be very careful when you're using them. But I do know people who use psychic, you know, who use opioids and have led very successful lives, even when using them regularly. So I'm just, it's always it's just very important that we not demonize other people, even for using drugs that are more dangerous. And even like cocaine, like I've never really liked cocaine that much. I mean, for me, like having cocaine is like drinking too much coffee and having post-nasal drip, right? So it's never been a thing for me. I have friends who love cocaine. I've had friends who got in trouble with cocaine. I've had friends who just play with it. So I'm not a big fan. I don't think it brings out the best in people. You know, I wouldn't want people I really care about getting into cocaine too much, but it still means I don't like the law punishing anybody for using that stuff. Mm-hmm. So when you said you used MDMA, but it stopped working for you, what do you mean by that? Because I've heard that before from people. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, you know, Chelsea, when I first started using my early 30s, it was in the context of, of my divorce. I think it helped us land up on a softer uh, landing. And I've used it in romantic relationships since in my 30s and 40s. And it was good with friends and I've been to raise. But around, I'm now 65, around the time I hit my early 50s, I found that the upside started waning and the downside started increasing. And I started having the feeling like my body was telling me, don't put this in you. Mm-hmm. And so I really miss it. I mean, it was it served a valuable purpose for me in terms, especially in romantic relationships, in terms of being able to deal with issues and have communications that are otherwise difficult to do. Yeah, that's true. It is helpful in relationships if you can have conversations, important conversations, right? Under... I mean, have you used it in that way? No, I haven't. I've only used it in, I mean, that's a good idea though. I've only used it to like have a good time, you know, MDMA that is. But no, I haven't. I'd recommend it. I mean, it's just because it gives people the ability both to listen it more deeply than they normally were. It dissolves the defenses and also to speak in a way that's more empathic in a way. And so I think, you know, when it was first kind of the, when its uses were first kind of rediscovered in the seventies, it was known as the couples therapy drug. And it was most famous for that type of use. And now when we see it emerging for use with respect to PTSD and things like that, it really has a very valuable role to play. So I'd strongly encourage you so long as it worked well for you. I should also say that I think when it comes to stopping, I know a lot more guys who says it doesn't work for me anymore, whereas women seem to get, this is no no research on this, just impressionistic, women seem to get more value of it for a longer time. 
Interesting. And what about, tell yeah. me a little bit about mescaline. I've never had any experience with mescaline either. I don't think so. Well, you know, you can get it in the refined version, which is the way I did it. The other two ways is it comes from the peyote cactus, which is the one that's used in indigenous ceremonies, Native American church. And now people are mostly people are being discouraged from using peyote because there's a limited supply and you don't want to deprive Native American church members and indigenous peoples of having access to it. But there's a plant called San Pedro, which is also a source of mescaline. So I would say I did it the one time I did it. I found it a lot like a mushroom experience. It can be maybe a little bit longer. It was before the invention of LSD in the 40s or just, you know, creation of LSD in the 40s. It was the most popular of the psychedelics. I, I just interviewed somebody on my podcast, Psychoactive. Mike J wrote a wonderful history of this whole thing. Michael Pollan, who's written that wonderful book, Change, How to Change Your Mind about psychedelics. He has a new book where he talks about his mescaline use. So I would say it's worth trying. Some people may prefer it to LSD or to mushrooms. I don't think it's radically different, though. Okay. So it's in that same family. Mm -hmm. And what about your experience? You said ayahuasca. Have you done that multiple times? You know, I did it for the first time about 20 years ago. I had a great experience. Then I did it a few years later in the context of a religious ceremony, something the Brazilian church called Santo Dime, although I did it in a loft in New York, but in that modality. And then since that time, I, I haven't really done the full blown ones. I've been at gatherings with a sort of guide where they have low dose ayahuasca mixed in with other things. I've never gone down to South America to do it in the jungle. I saw you did that for the TV show you did on Netflix. I know a lot of people have done it that way. So it's not been a drug I've gone back to many times, although I would definitely do it again. I would definitely do it again. You know, I'm one of the few people, like most people throw up when they do it, you know, and you're supposed to throw up because it helps to purge, but I didn't throw up. Uh, I didn't throw up either. Oh no, I did no. throw up. Sorry. I did. You did? Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were yeah. talking about the other outlet because they say you can sometimes, you know, go to the bathroom well, too. With, that, with respect to that second time I did it, nothing happened during the ceremony, but in the following days, that other outlet was quite active. Oh, sadly. well, that's good to know. Thank you for filling yeah. me in. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Do you find age at all to be a prohibitor in, in any of these drugs we're talking about? You know, I'll tell you, I think, I mean, first of all, as I say, as I've gotten older, MDMA is not really doing it for me. Marijuana continues to be my friend after all these years. I think if you don't have issues, like, for example, I don't have any, you know, I'm very healthy for my age, so I don't worry about cardiovascular issues. If you feel vulnerable cardiovascularly, you have to be careful with taking a drug that could really, you know, get your heart going in a serious way. Right. I've never been on antidepressants, but if you are, you know, you can't be an antidepressants and be doing ayahuasca because that's I've got a toxic combination. Like one thing I've gotten into in recent years is doing LSD, not at the macro dose, the heroic dose, the big dose, and, and not so much at the micro dose, the five or 10 micrograms, but doing what I would call a mini dose of like 20 or 30 micrograms, which is enough to make you feel you're under the influence of something, but you're not really having any visions. You're not way out there. And I will say that the following day, I just feel exhausted. And I think that may be aging, mm. but you know, there are people who just keep doing it into their eighties and older. I mean, my view on the psychedelics has always been they're kind of wasted on the young. And I tend to think about them. I once gave a, gave a speech and I said, you know, I think about doing psychedelics the way I think about Yom Kippur. You know, I'm, I'm Jewish. I grew up religious. I now I'm not that religious. But, you know, once a year, Yom Kippur, fast, 25 hours, no food, no water, because I think it's a good thing for getting more in touch with that spiritual side. And I think the same thing with psychedelics, that a lot of times people, you know, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s say, oh, I did that when I was young. But my view is it's a good thing to keep coming back to at least once a year. It's a it's good for stirring up the emotional sediment, the psychological sediment that builds up as we get older. And I think the reason that people get scared of it when they get older is because it does mean stirring up that emotional sediment. It does mean coming to grips with things, compromises you've made in life, things you've had to settle for. But I actually think it's a healthy thing, spiritually, emotionally, and probably even physically, to keep doing it as long as one feels physically able. Wow. Well, that's great. I love to hear that because I always yeah. feel like at you know, a certain point you have to stop the drugs. And I think what you're saying is quite the opposite. As long as you're continually evolving and exploring, there's no reason to stop unless you know you have some health limitations. 
Exactly, exactly. And I think to try to overcome those fears that happen as we get older. So many of my friends who used to do with me back in the day, now they're worried about it. They're scared about it. Although the truth being that with all the theoretical media about psychedelics now, with Michael Pollan's book and all the other sorts of things, more and more people are expressing interest in doing it who either haven't done it in many decades or never did it. And I think that's an encouraging sign, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, just the, look, even with marijuana, you think about it i remember when we started legalizing marijuana first for medical and then more broadly in the various states with all the ballot initiatives and people would say you just you watch adolescent use is going to skyrocket and my response to them would be i don't think so because teenagers already have easy availability to marijuana and we're not legalizing (laughs) it for them so why is it going to go up so much and i said the real increase in use is going to be among people in their 50s 60s 70s 80s and 90s and i'll tell you you know five ten years since we started legalizing marijuana or in states around the country there's been virtually no jump in adolescent marijuana use which would be something you'd worry about but meanwhile among people like you know people in their 60s 70s there's like a quadrupling of use because people are finding it valuable. They're finding it, you know, they find they prefer it to alcohol. They find it helps with sleep or aches and pains, or or maybe it helps to spice up a sexual relationship with a person you've been married to for decades, right? I mean, it's got all these sorts of benefits. And so I think the benefits of psychoactive drugs, and especially ones like cannabis and psychedelics, I think they're underestimated in terms of being positively connected with healthy aging. Do you think that the dosage is important as you age? To, I mean, because the microdosing is really what everybody's on about now and guided journeys with whatever drug of choice, whether it's a microdose of LSD or psilocybin or ketamine. Do you think that that has an impact? Well, it's so hard to know. I mean, with microdosing, some people have claimed it's little more than a placebo and other people have claimed really significant benefit from micro. And microdosing usually means taking between a 10th to a 20th of the dose that would normally result in a psychedelic trip. And so I would say the microdosing thing is worth trying. It does not appear to be much risk associated with it, although there's not long-term studies on it. And that can involve doing it with LSD, with mushrooms. It could even be done with ayahuasca. Or even with I've even heard about microdosing ibogaine, which is a very powerful psychedelic out of West Africa from the aboga plant that you know people have found great results in curing addiction, but I'm a little scared to try. With marijuana, some people find that as they get older, that the brain changes in a way and so that you need less to get high. So I think it's a matter of just being attentive to what works. And and look, also, people use it differently. I know people, I know people, billionaires, enormously successful people. Every night, you know, they'll take a couple of puffs off a joint, watch late night TV and go to sleep. And they've been doing that for decades. I know brilliant academics and intellectuals who've been using marijuana, including for creative purposes. In my case, I don't do marijuana daily. You know, I smoke it periodically with friends or my partner or something like that. And and then edible. I'm, I'm getting into edibles more frequently. In fact, for me, Part of my healthy aging process is once a week when I'm in New York, I take 10 milligrams of edible THC, usually in a nice chocolate bar, grab my headphones, and I go down and get a multi-hour massage. And I'm just floating and marijuana helps me get into my body. So I think it's actually when you're using any psychoactive drug, the key thing is to be using it consciously, Mm. not to be using it unconsciously, and not to just be using it habitually, and not to be using it just in a escapist way is to use it consciously to say this is a moment or a thing I'm doing where I think actually using this substance will enhance what I'm intending to do or wanting to do. Right. Now, circling back real quick to your MDMA experience with your ex-wife, you said that that helps with issues in your marriage to have conversations while taking that. Mm -hmm. I have heard that before, but not really the way that you said it. Because the dosage would have an impact on your being able to actually have a conversation like that in a serious nature, right? Rather than just- Not not really, Chelsea, because you know with MDMA, it's pretty standard that people will do between 100 and 150 milligrams. And so when you're doing MDMA, you know nobody's hallucinating. It's not a psychedelic experience. They call, so the drug used to be called an empathogen because it helps to open up your heart. In fact, at some point, the nickname was originally going to be like some 
something like empathy, but people realize, you know, who wants to market a drug called empathy? There's not a big market for empathy, right? Let's call it ecstasy. And so ecstasy became the nickname for MDMA. But I think the key thing is that when the drug comes on and it's two people and you're in a relationship, the ability to process stuff, to process things that have been bugging one or the other, to talk about them in a respectful way, an empathic way, it basically causes defenses to melt in a way. Mm. And I think that's its great value. With, with, with my ex-wife, you know, we were in a very difficult spot, but we did it together and we were able to talk. And we actually thought for a while, as did our marriage counselor, that, oh my God, our marriage is going to be saved here. And in the end, you know, it wasn't enough, but I do think we landed up uh, with a safer landing and became wonderful co-parents and friends thereafter. And, and in subsequent relationships, you know, it was, it's always been valuable in terms of dealing with the stuff that builds, begins to build up in a relationship that, that needs to get processed, that needs to get talked about. So I think just being there, quiet place, have that conversation. And while you're in the conversation, remembering that it's not the kind of drug you can keep using over and over and over and over again. That the idea is to, as you're doing it, and as you're having this heartfelt, honest, understanding, empathic conversation, to be thinking about ways in which you can get back to that spot the next day. Mm. And the next week and the next month without having to use the drug repeatedly, right? It's good to come back and use it occasionally. I'm talking about using it three, four, five times a year, not using it weekly and never mind daily or something like that. And it kind of depletes you, right, of your serotonin, MDMA? If you think about, you know, Prozac, they both act on the serotonin level that essentially Prozac is a mattress and MDMA is a trampoline. And so oftentimes the next day people can feel a bit depleted. Although I'll tell you the first time I did it, I felt great the next day. Yeah, I always feel it the next day in my system in a good way, not a bad way. In a good way. Yeah. So that that's great. That's great. I think I I have found this is just once again anecdotal. When I would do it with friends, and the next day we'd all jump on a plane to go back home, I noticed that a, a, a surprising number of us would get a cold or get sick in the following days. So I think it's it's good to understand that your system system may be somewhat compromised the yeah, following day and definitely. just take it easy. And like oftentimes I tell you people, don't do it on a Sunday, do it on a Saturday. Make sure you have a day to take off between the day you take it and the day you're back in work. Because what I find is that it melts your defenses and the defenses don't just jump right back up. To, to, so to throw yourself right back into work the next day when your defenses are still kind of down, you know, and shit's flying at you in the work environment, you're not quite ready to deal with it. You need that that recovery time, that at least a day of recovery time after you do it. Yeah. And also it's good to take B12 before doing it and after doing it to help mm -hmm. with that kind of, they call it like suicide Tuesday. It's not, or suicide, suicide, I don't know. It's usually two days after you take it that some people can have like a depressive episode. Right. This doesn't happen to everybody, but people can, it can happen. So it's always good to take B12. Okay. Yeah. Well, Ethan, we're excited you're here today. We have a show where we have people call in for advice. So you're going to mm -hmm. be our guest and Catherine's okay. going to give us the lowdown, but first we're going to take a break. Right, Catherine? Yep. We're going to take a quick break for an ad and we'll be right back with some callers. Okay. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You There's plenty to celebrate in March and expect. 
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. And we're back. Fantastic. Well, we have really just all drug questions today. Oh, so. what a nice, <laughs> what a nice episode this is going to be. It feels so warm and fuzzy. Yes. I mean, I do have to. I do have to preface this with: I am a baby drug user. I have not really tried a whole lot of things. Haven't tried mushrooms, that sort of thing. Have minimally tried marijuana. Just wait till you come to Mallorca, Catherine. Don't worry. <laughs> Just wait. And you have so much to look forward to, Catherine. <laughs> and with MDMA, I'm oftentimes most envious. I call them the MDMA virgins because if you've never done it before, <laughs> the first time is oftentimes the best ever. So I'm kind of excited. I do have to say I won the second place prize in the D.A.R.E. essay writing competition in fifth grade. But second place was better than first place because she got like a tour of the police department and I got a pizza party. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, seriously. Hello. Prizes are in the yeah. wrong order for that contest. Exactly. Exactly. So our first question comes from Jamie. She says, Chelsea, you were talking about CBD today when I was listening to Glennon's episode. I've tried many CBD products and I don't ever feel any effect. Can you recommend a specific amount or brand so I can feel the effects? I tried a pop brownie once and it threw me into a terrible panic attack. I don't want to feel bad again. I just want to feel calm and sleep. Thanks, Jamie. Well, the CBD, if you're not feeling anything, I would say not to be opposed to adding a little THC ratio to it. I mean, if you're taking C, I don't really feel CBD when I take that by itself either. I usually take that for when I'm skiing for pain management for my knee. But I would say to throw in a little THC, like you don't, you know, it could be like 2.5 milligrams of THC against a higher percentage or higher ratio of CBD for a little bit more of a buzz to help you so you can actually feel it without overdoing it. Ethan, what are your thoughts on this matter? Yeah, I really don't know. I mean, I do do CBD, all the stuff about the rub-ons and this and that and the drops. There's not a lot of evidence out there about how using it in that form is actually helpful. And it's usually not psychoactive. There are studies that show that CBD has been helpful in some very serious medical conditions, but a lot of it's been hype. It's hard to say. Now, there is a website out there called Project CBD, a guy named Martin Lee, who I think is one of the most honorable. You know, I don't think he's taken money from any one company to promote one or the other. So I keep your eye on that Project CBD website, and they may provide some guidance about what are the more reliable or less reliable, both brands and ways of taking it or not taking it. The idea that Chelsea said about combining it with THC in small amounts, I mean, you know, the plant produces, the marijuana plant produces both THC and CBD. And so that's why you see a lot of the edibles Sometimes we'll have a THC-CBD combination. I think it's generally a good idea to use THC with some CBD. Sometimes people have issues with marijuana and anxiety may find that if you're using THC with no CBD in it, it may exacerbate the anxiety because CBD is supposed to be an anti-anxiety drug. So I'd say no fantastic information out there, but you can dig around and try to use the drugs in combination. And what's the name of that website again? I think it's called Project CBD or just okay. Google Martin Lee CBD, which is what I just did. Yeah. You know, I like the idea of combining it. There was a time when I was using a lot of CBD. I also didn't really feel anything. But Brad, my husband and I went to the beach and I had been using like a CBD vape pretty heavily that day. And we decided like, OK, we're going to like take a couple hits of this very strong joint that we got as a as a wedding favor at my brother Ethan's wedding. And we both took one hit and we're just, I mean, it was beyond. It was way too much. It was super, super strong. And usually when I have too much marijuana, I get very like unhappy, panicky. It activates all that stuff for me. But since I'd had so much CBD, I was very calm, even though I was like, I'm way more stoned than I want to be. Mm -hmm. But it really helped from that perspective of like, just gave me a chill time. 
Hmm. That makes sense. You know, a lot of times, a lot of people have issues with anxiety and marijuana. I think a lot of them, I find that the first time they did marijuana, they did it in a social environment, oftentimes with people they were not necessarily that comfortable with. And so I think the best way to deal with that is when you're using marijuana, either to overcome that fear of anxiety or using it for the first time, try to do it in a place where you're either, if either by yourself or with your lover or close friend, where you're really comfortable, where there's nobody you have to be on with, nobody you mm. have issues with and if possible do it not in like the same place like the tv room or whatever but try to find a nice place outside you know whether it's the woods or a lake or someplace that's not your normal you know sitting environment just alter it a bit well our next question comes from michelle michelle says dear chelsea i'm going on a camping trip this month with my husband and two other couples we all plan on doing mushrooms together the other couples do this yearly and are inviting us for the first time I don't have much experience with drugs. I smoked weed a bit in my early 20s, and I've done coke once. I'm a little nervous of the possibility of a, quote, bad trip. I feel extremely safe with my friends, and I know they'll guide me through the experience. I'm mostly nervous about my husband. He's very experienced with drugs, although he has never done mushrooms. But my main worry is his reaction if I do have a bad trip. He would prefer me not to partake, and I'm scared that my fear of his reaction could make me have a negative experience. What's your advice to have an enjoyable experience for my first time? Michelle. Hi, Michelle. I think first off, you have to stop telling yourself you're not going to have a good experience because that's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You have to Mm. go into drugs always like you're using the drug. The drug is not using you. That's how I feel about anytime I take drugs. Anytime I'm not in control of the situation is when I'm not in control of the situation. So I would just say to do, you know, if you're worried about your experience, just do half of what everybody's doing and you're going to have a good time. Mushrooms make you laugh. They make you relax. <laughs> they, you will be probably laughing the hardest you've ever laughed in your life. That's usually what happens to people the first time they do mushrooms. Ethan, what has been your experience with people who have bad trips on mushrooms? I mean, so I think your advice to Michelle is right on. The other thing I would tend to say is that Michelle and her husband should have a conversation beforehand and maybe with their friends there just saying, listen, I want you to know, dear husband, that if I need some help during this, I'm not expecting you to be there. Please don't worry about me. And have one of the friends saying, we're in charge here. Say to the husband, you can relax. If you're having your own good trip, bad trip, don't feel an obligation. You want to be together, be together. But don't get into a mode of needing this for one or the other. And we, the friends, are here to help in that. And thereby take the pressure. So if, for example, it does, you're right, it's highly unlikely to go in the wrong direction. But if it does, that the husband's not going to feel guilty for not being present. It's having the friends there, the host there saying, we got this. You relax. When she's a little better, you guys can be together. Something along those lines. Yeah. And just for the record, I know this is, I mean, I don't speak for the entire universe, even though I'd like to. I would like to say that I've never been around anybody who had a bad trip on mushrooms. And I do them all the time. I've done them dozens of times. I did have two trips that I would regard as that which went into a very dark place. Um, where I just began to feel enormously depressed. And I used two different approaches to deal with it. The first time, and it felt a little bit like cheating, was that when when it went into a very dark place, I had some MDMA around you know, ecstasy. Mm -hmm. And I just took a little MDMA and that just lifted it up into a beautiful place again. It's one reason why sometimes people combine mushrooms and MDMA because it both enhances the possibility it'll go into a beautiful spot and it minimizes the chance it'll go into a dark spot. Now, the other way to do it in the rare possibility that it goes into a dark place, and this, I remember I was doing it uh, with my partner, we were on a beach and it went into a very dark place. Everything felt black and dark and crumbly and dying and all this sort of stuff. And I, and you can't, the thing is you cannot run away from a bad trip. You can't run away from it. And so what I did was I almost envisioned that darkness of the bad trip as like a huge wave. And you know, when you're swimming in the ocean and you see also a big wave coming, you can't run from it because then you'll get, you know, it'll crash on you, you'll tumble and you might hurt yourself. The only choice when a big wave is coming is to dive into it, dive underneath it, dive through it. And so I practically like physically almost dived into the sand, but like, you know, I mean, you know, literally in a way or, you know, uh, or metaphorically in a way, was sort of into the wave of the darkness. And I kind of came out of it. I came out of it and all of a sudden things just lifted and it became 
in this magnificent trip for the rest of it. So it, I, I would say you're right to tell her, don't worry about the bad one. It's highly unlikely. You have friends around who can take care of you. Don't worry about your husband's reaction. If it does go in a dark place, there are ways to deal with it. And in whatever case, even if it is dark, you're going to get better in a few hours and you'll be fine the next day. And many times people say that find that even going into a dark place on mushrooms or ayahuasca, they may go through a terrifying place, especially with ayahuasca. And then the next day they say, my God, that was the most magnificent experience of my life because of how much I learned and how much I benefited. Yeah. So I would just say to lower the dosage compared to what your friends are taking, you know, just for yes. you in beginning, just take half so that you're not going to be, you know, out of control. And then if you like it, you can take more. Yes. Great. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. From football playoffs to basketball madness, TCL Roku TVs are the best way to stream your favorite live sports. With all the biggest sports channels, a sports zone with all available games in one place, and apps like iHeartRadio with sports podcasts such as The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Cheering on your favorite team has never been easier. A big screen TCL Roku TV offers premium picture and sound quality, so you'll feel like you're right in the action. Find the perfect TCL Roku TV for you today at Amazon.com. Well, we have our first caller of the day today. This is Annie. Annie says, Dear Chelsea, I was diagnosed with complex PTSD about 15 years ago, but I've struggled with it for over 20 years. I've tried many different forms of therapies, medications, and THC, which have helped some, but never completely. My symptoms have become much worse during the last few years with running from fires in California, COVID, and just the general shit show that is our world. I'm now struggling to leave the house, and I've been isolating myself to an extreme. I'm pretty sure I'm bordering on agoraphobia. Even my work Zooms have become a source of anxiety. I'm planning to email my doctor to talk to him about some beta blockers to help with the short-term issues. I heard you talk about this on your show the other day, and I have never tried them before. My question to you is, I'm considering some alternative treatments, including microdosing psilocybin, MDMA, or therapeutic ketamine. I've read that in some instances, they are curing PTSD with these treatments, which I'd been told would never be possible. I'd rather try psilocybin, but that seems less legal at the moment and harder to come by. I feel lost in trying to figure out who to talk to about this. My doctor is pretty judgmental, and I would never bring this up to him. Do you have any advice on resources to learn more about these types of treatments? I've obviously Googled it, but I'm not sure who to trust. I can't be the only one whose symptoms have become much worse during this COVID apocalypse time. Thank you both for doing what you do. Your show has been a great source of comfort and much needed laughter. Annie. Hi, Annie. Hi, Annie. Hi. Hey, Annie. That's Ethan. He's our guest today. I'm so sorry that you're dealing with this, Annie. Oh, thank you. 
But just know that this is temporary. You're not going to feel like this forever. And you're not alone. So many people feel like this after COVID and have anxiety. And, you know, there are ways to fix it. But Ethan, do you want to start with some resources? Because you're probably the man for that. Let me suggest a few things. I mean, first of all, I think when it comes to microdosing with mushrooms or something like that, if you can get a hold of them, even just, you know, not even pure psilocybin mushrooms, there's relatively little risk with doing that at a very, very low level. I mean, maybe it helps, maybe not. There's not much evidence on it. I think the place I'd start is with ketamine because ketamine is legal. And I think the first place I would go, the, probably the godfather of ketamine-assisted psychotherapy is a fellow named Phil Wolfson up in Marin County in California. And he's got a whole bunch of websites. So just Google on Phil Wolfson and ketamine. One of his top protégés is a doctor in the New York area, Gita Vade. I actually interviewed her on my podcast, Psychoactive, not long ago. And she speaks about the art of doing psychotherapy assisted by ketamine. And because that's legal, it's going to be easier to access. The challenge is to find the best therapist. And I think starting off with Phil Wolfson is the way to go. Now, MDMA is probably going to get approved by the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, sometime later this year or next year for treatment of PTSD. So there are already research programs that are admitting patients. So if you just Google PTSD, MDMA, psychedelic therapist, something like that, you'll probably see people popping up. The organization MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, has been the one driving this process forward with the FDA, and they're training people all around the country to be therapists. So that's probably the other place I would look. And once you start nosing around, then people will start to recommend to you therapists who are using MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, not fully legally yet, but where it's becoming more and more common. Okay, thank you. Do you know, have you heard of MAPS, Annie? I have heard of MAPS. I've done some reading about it. Yeah. I just wasn't, yeah. It didn't seem like it was widely available yet, so. Well, they basically have research programs now, so sometimes if you can still get into one of those, but once you start calling around, people will let you know about psychotherapists who are providing this sort of help, either using psilocybin or MDMA, but starting off with ketamine simply because it's legal, just finding the right therapist, I think really is the way to go. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. And what state are you in, Annie? I'm in California. Oh, okay. Well, that's easy to find in California, guided ketamine trips. I have a few friends that are doing that. Oh, okay. I didn't know that that was really a thing here. I'd seen it like in in Southern California, but I'm in Northern California. Phil Wilson is right up in Marin and he's the godfather of ketamine. So definitely check out his website and see what you can find out there. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, you know, try and in the meantime, beta blockers, if you get those prescription, that's a short-term solution, but it also does kind of the neuropathways, it changes those. In my experience, I've taken beta blockers and you don't have to take them all the time. You take them and it kind of sets up a new pattern of thought so that you don't get that nervous energy. I do look at it as a short-term solution. I think that the ketamine and everything else is a deeper, more spiritual solution to, you know, the anxiety and the discomfort you're feeling. Yeah. There's also a brilliant doctor, writer, thinker named Julie Holland, who talks a lot about this stuff. So just Google Julie Holland, and I think you'll come across some interesting information as well. Thank you. Okay, Annie, take care. Let Let us know how it goes. Yeah, let us know how it goes, okay? I will. Thank you so much. Sure. All right. Well, our next question comes from Katie. Katie asks, Dear Chelsea, on the show, I heard you talking about microdosing chocolate mushrooms. I'm an elementary school special ed teacher, and my weed and Xanax intake increased substantially over the pandemic. I talked to her a little bit about it, and her Xanax increase was really linked to a really high-stress job that she had. I'm looking to take a break from the weed, but I know I'll be very unpleasant. I'm curious about the chocolate fungi and where I can find them safely. Thanks, Katie. And she is actually here with us on the phone as well. Hi, Katie. Hi there. Bye. Yeah, I think mushrooms are a great pivot for you. Are mushrooms legal? What what states legally sell mushrooms, Ethan? No, there's no place where it's legal. Although if you figure out a way to grow it, there's all these sort of guides to growing it at home. And so large numbers of people are doing that now. I'll also tell you, I don't know where you are, but like here in New York City, where they have all these marijuana delivery services that are still illegal, but nobody's going after them anymore. More and more of them are selling chocolate mushrooms. I mean, I've now seen these menus, which used to just be different types of marijuana, edible and smokable. And now they're including, you know, mushrooms in little powders and mushrooms in chocolate. So, you know, if you if you know of where do you live? I live in New England. Uh Uh-huh. 
And I use a delivery, one of those, you know, same type of things. So I'll have to check that out. I haven't even bothered to look at their edibles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just ask your delivery service if they happen to provide mushrooms and if they don't, if they know somebody who does, because I'm amazed at how much this has taken off in the marijuana delivery world if you're carrying these things as well. Yeah, that's been my biggest issue is being, you know, old enough to know that online is not where it's at to be trusted necessarily, and then not being young enough to really know anybody that's still growing or got stuff like that around. And so I was kind of stuck and my doctor was more concerned with the Xanax use leading to Alzheimer's more than anything else, which kind of scared me. And then that was kind of like, okay, I really like to back off of that and not need it so much. So if I had a different option other than the weed, that would be great because at this point I just smoke all the time. What about with weed? Uh, I mean, cause the Xanax is the one from a health perspective that has a lot more risks mm-hmm. and weed has relatively fewer risks. And it might be a matter of changing the way you're consuming weed or the, you know, maybe shifting to a drinkable seltzer with low THC content in it. And those can be kind of nice. I don't know. You've already tried that. Yeah. My issue is that I, my consumption is just off the charts and like I make my own tincture that's 120 milligrams per milliliter and make my own gummies and sometimes feel them. Mm. Chelsea talked about chocolate mushrooms as, as an alternative. And I was really curious about it. Yeah. I think what Ethan said is pretty accurate though. Like anyone who's delivering weed is also delivering mushrooms because they're everywhere. Everywhere I go, somebody hands me mushrooms. I wish I could hand them to you right now. I was going to say, can I go where you go? (laughs) I know. I want to go to there. But yeah, but yeah, you, you should investigate. And if it's not the weed delivery service that you're using, look for some other ones because I guarantee you yeah. you'll find them there. You know, just don't overdo it. When you're trying mushrooms for the first time, again, make sure you're just doing like a half a dose to see how what your reaction is. And then once you're comfortable with it, you know how to titrate or increase or whatever you're right. after, which is relief. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what is it? How would you describe that feeling? Well, with mushrooms, I find that I just have a lot of clarity and I feel up. If I take chocolate mushrooms, like with my girlfriends, I'll take more to laugh, you know, and just be silly. But mostly I take them, you know, I took one yesterday. My friend had some mushroom, morning mushrooms, and it had like all these other ingredients in it that were just like wake up natural ingredients and and herbs and stuff like that. So, and that stuff is just so minimal. You just feel a little bit more clarity and just a little sharper, you know, on it and upbeat and ready to go. Kind of like a cup of coffee without it. I was just going to say my TikTok algorithm locked on and sending me mud water. Is that something similar to what you're talking about? Yeah, the mud water is, I love it. I think it's very tasty, but it's a little bit more of like a coffee substitute rather than, yeah. It's like adaptogen mushrooms for health and and that sort of thing. Oh, okay. But it's tasty. It tastes like chai tea, you know, but not going to get you high. No. So here's one more question, too. Mm-hmm. Would you both suggest that she sort of taper down the marijuana use before trying the mushrooms or use them in conjunction with each other? Well, what's the negative effect of the marijuana use now for you? I mean, my bank account. Um, right. But I have a, a home garden with all a bunch of tomato plants and then one one lovely little sativa. So I'm, you know, trying that way. But other than the fact that I'm spending a lot of money and don't really get high anymore unless it's, you know, what people would consider way overdoing it. I mean, like I went through like a half an ounce in the last week. Yeah. So your tolerance is pretty high. Yeah. I mean, because some people use marijuana as heavily as you do, it's because you're getting some medical benefit from it. I mean, it may be serving this anti-anxiety purpose. Oh, definitely is. Trying to pull back on the Xanax and maybe figuring out a more cost-effective way, the most cost-effective way to be consuming the marijuana. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think if you're going to do the mushrooms, I don't know that you need to cut back on the marijuana. You know, it's, they're different substances. They operate differently on your brain. And if you're doing, as Chelsea suggests, doing with a little 
microdosing or smaller dose, try it. I mean, look, for me, the advantage of not using cannabis every day is that when I get high, I really enjoy getting high. Yeah, I miss that. I think I'd more look at it through that lens to see if, in fact, you can taper off on cannabis or have some, you know, a, a cannabis-free day or like mm-hmm. each week or something like that and just see what that feels like. Yeah. And then you can decide whether you want to try something like a low-dose mushroom either on your off-marijuana day or even on the days you're doing marijuana. Okay. I'm definitely curious. I might, now that I know it's, it's in New York, I'm, I'm headed there in a couple of days. So I oh, might perfect. Have to... yeah, I should tell you New York, they haven't actually opened up the doors for legal sale until the beginning of the year. So, oh, so it would still be a delivery service. Still be a delivery service. Some places are opening up anyway and sort of daring the cops to address them so you can <laughs> find them. Yeah. I mean, they've got better things to do at this point, really. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, but you can easily find a delivery service. I mean, that's what everybody in New York City does, you know, is get it delivered. So whoever you're staying with, you could figure that out easily. Awesome. That's so great to know. Well, I really appreciate your your advice. And, you know, it was cool to get to chat and something that I wouldn't normally get to have a conversation with on like an educated level. So that's pretty cool. I appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. Good luck to you. Keep us posted. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Will do. All right. Bye. Well, our next question really fits well into what we just talked about with Katie. Carrie wrote in, she says, Dear Chelsea, I've been dating my boyfriend for four years now. We're in our late 20s. He's always very openly loved smoking weed. I don't personally partake very often because it makes my anxiety worse, but lots of my friends and family do, so I'm very familiar with being around it. In the early years of our relationship, I saw no problem with his smoking because we were young, it seemed less destructive than drinking, and I didn't feel it was my place to judge. However, he's almost 30 now and he smokes every single day. He'll smoke right when he gets home from work and again multiple times throughout the night until we go to bed. On the weekends, he smokes almost immediately after waking up. Often, he can't even eat without it because he's used to relying on it to induce hunger. To his credit, his personality isn't altered much when he smokes. He doesn't get quiet or sleepy, as I know some people do. I still enjoy being around him, even though he sometimes does have a bad memory because of it. My question is, how do you know when smoking weed becomes a problem? We're approaching the age where we make more serious commitments like marriage and kids, and this feels like the elephant in the room. I've spoken to him multiple times about this, but rather than having a conversation, he shuts down my concerns as me having an outdated and biased view of marijuana. In his opinion, there are no bad side effects. It's more widely becoming legal, and there's really no reason to stop or slow down. Since you openly enjoy weed more than I do, it might be interesting to have a perspective on when and if marijuana use can go too far. Carrie. Ethan, why don't you hit that out of the park? Okay, what I would just say to her is basically, if he's not really seeing any problems with his youth, and there she said maybe his memory isn't as good because he's smoking weed, but I think the bottom line is basically don't worry about it. Getting older is not an issue. His getting defensive in the relationship with you is not going to be productive. He's already indicated he can't hear criticism of that side of his life. It's quite possible that he's using this in a way that's more medical than anything else, since he's probably really not getting very high anymore. He's just using it on a you know very regular basis. So I can understand feeling a little irritated by the fact that that thing is always in your life and it's not something you share much, and maybe even feeling a little jealous of it in some respect. But unless you can pinpoint problems with it, I would just leave it alone. And it's quite possible that the day will come or the moment will come when he comes to the conclusion that maybe he wants to stop doing it. But if he's got his back up because you're getting more and more critical about it, I don't think that's going to go anywhere good. Yeah, I would say the exact same thing. There's no reason, you know, it is kind of an outdated stance on it. I mean, it is becoming legal everywhere. He likes using it. And again, what Ethan said is perfectly accurate. At this point, he's probably not getting that much benefit from it unless it is a health benefit because he's certainly probably not getting high at this point. I know when I overconsume marijuana, it takes so much to make me high. So yeah, you got to kind of just like get rid of that way of thinking and, you know, just be happy it's not something like drinking 
or another drug, that would be a situation. Mm. If somebody came home and they relied on that, you know, marijuana is pretty benign and it's helpful to a lot of people. So you don't know what kind of anxiety he might have or what other body aches he might have that this is helping him with that he might not even be aware of himself. It might just be for him to equalize. So I would just try and say, be a little bit more open-hearted and open-minded, let him do his thing and then you do your thing. Yeah. And there's that old saying of when do you know something is addictive or becoming a problem? And it's when you have negative consequences. It sounds like he's not really having negative consequences. You know, we've had people call into the show and and say, you know, I really want to taper down my marijuana use or or that sort of thing. So I feel like if someone thinks that they do, then like go for it. Definitely your body's telling you something, your mind is telling you something, but sounds like he's not having any any negative consequences other than this relationship issue. Yeah, I like the way you said that. My definition of addiction is addiction equals dependence plus problems. Mm. So if you're dependent on a drug, whether it's coffee to get up in the morning, whether it's a statin for your cholesterol or a heart drug, whether it's methadone because you were once addicted to heroin, it's not an addiction addiction, so long as that dependence on the drug is not a problem. And it sounds quite likely that with this guy, it sounds like it's basically a dependence, a serious dependence, but not really causing any problems. In fact, it sounds like the biggest problem is it could become a problem in his marriage, even if it's Mm. not causing many problems in his own personal life, apart from that. Well, on that note, we will take our break and we'll be right back with Ethan Nadelman and Chelsea. We're back. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, Ethan, did you have any advice you'd like to get from Chelsea? Wow, Chelsea. You know, I was thinking about that. The first piece of advice I need from you is not specifically about drugs. You have this very successful podcast, and I have my podcast, Psychoactive, which I'm trying to turn into a much bigger thing. So if you've got any advice about how to get a building audience for a podcast that talks about the whole spectrum of drugs and drug wars and drug policies and drug use... I'm I'm all ears for advice about doing something like that. Well, I mean, you should book a couple celebrity guests. I'll volunteer to come on and talk to you about drugs. That will help. Uh, First thing, yeah, to make it a little shiny. But what I've learned about podcasts, how long have you had your podcast? I'm in the second season now. So we started just over a year ago. Yeah. What I've learned is that it takes a couple of years for anybody, whether you're a famous person or less famous or whatever your platform is, that it takes a few years to really build and grow. But when you have a subject matter that's so many people are interested right now, and it's mm-hmm. such a part of our zeitgeist, I mean, I have no, I mean, you've got a great title and you're very knowledgeable, obviously. So I, I would imagine that people are very interested in hearing more of what you have to say. So I know that certainly our listeners, plenty of them will be interested in that too. So I would just say, yeah, just keep doing it. That's how you accrue more listeners. You know, you just, it happens slowly over time. Okay, great. Well, I have one other question for you, which is, you know, when I used to be a professor and I wrote books, academic books and a lot of writing, but in the last 10, 20 years, I've been writing less and less. And now I want to write a book about my life and about drugs and I'm kind of blocked. And I see that you've had like five or six bestsellers and a lot of them are about your life. So how did you actually get those books done and out? With a lot of cannabis, quite frankly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's really that uh, that that is the best use of cannabis that I've ever had when I have a task at hand, a creative task, and I I do all the work, but when I have to go in and polish and deliver is when I use cannabis and or mushrooms. Mushrooms also, microdosing mushrooms oh. helps me focus. But yeah, cuz you get organized and then you get hyper focused. Cannabis helps me lose myself in something, but I have to have the subject there. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if I go work out, I can lose myself in working out. If I'm writing, I can lose myself in writing. If I'm sitting on my bed, I'm going to lose myself on my phone. But you just, I I like to choose the activity that I'm going to lose myself in. But I would definitely say cannabis has been a huge contributor to my, the success of my books. Wow. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, I keep meaning to start a kind of microdosing mushroom routine, but I keep forgetting to do it. So it may be that that may be the answer for me. Yeah. Sometimes I find with cannabis, like it, I find a hard time writing with it because I sort of forget, like I lose my train of thought. You know, I forget what it was I wrote just it was just thinking a few minutes ago. It's one reason I don't like giving a speech or doing an interview under the influence of cannabis because it's problematic in that way. Whereas mushrooms can be more focusing. So 
I maybe have to make more of a serious effort there. Yeah, just put it together as your responsibility to get your book done, right? You write and mm-hmm. you need to start your mushroom routine. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Ethan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I loved everything you had to say. Well, I look, I loved doing it. It was great to team up with you on answering those questions, Chelsea. And I really admire all the ways that you've been out there on the drug issue and on so many others. Our politics align very much. And I appreciate both your courage and sort of really speaking. I saw you were speaking out about this drug stuff before marijuana was legal. And you were speaking about psychedelics and doing episodes about it on Netflix and elsewhere when this was not quite so cool and hip. So you were one of the pioneers in getting this out. And I really do appreciate that. So thank you. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So if you'd like advice from Chelsea, just send us an email at dearchelseaproject at gmail.com. Dear Chelsea is a production of iHeartRadio, executive produced by Nick Stumpf, produced by Catherine Law, and edited and engineered by Brad Dickert. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with five good things. A new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's a very slow. all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. (laughs) Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on the Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you.